Good morning. My name is Tim Hampton. I'll be sharing this morning as we continue our series uh, in I Am, Who I Am in Christ. Uh, let's open a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you brought us together here this morning and that uh, your word reveals who we are and uh, leads us to you, Lord. I pray that we would hear your voice and our lives would be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. So we continue in the series uh, that we've gone the last several weeks, and uh, just going back a little bit, last week, uh, Pastor Scott shared on the message of, I am sealed in Christ, and that is that he put his name on us, he sealed us, he made us his own, and I, I still remember the picture of his son with his name on his belly and his phone number on his belly when they were at, I think, Disney World, so in case he got lost, everybody knew whose son he was, and uh, that's what God has done for us. And the week before that, Pastor Dan uh, shared on I am forgiven, that Christ paid the price for us to be forgiven, and because we are forgiven, we're also able then to forgive other people. Prior to that, I spoke on I am adopted. Uh, somebody talked about that, I'm adopted into Christ's family, that uh, he also welcomes us as part of his family, and God calls us his children if we are in Christ. Mike, Pastor Mike shared the week before, I am chosen. That before God, uh, before we were ever born, God had chosen us uh, to be His, and He had had a plan for our lives and had a purpose for our lives. And then it goes back to uh, Pastor Eric uh, shared, "I am because He is." And the idea of this whole series is that because of who God is, that affects who we are, and because of who we are in Christ, that affects how we live. And it's the opposite so often of how we we think about it. We think. What I do determines who I am and gives me my identity. If I, if I messed up, if I was a failure, whatever, that's who I am. But the message of the gospel is that because of who God is, he transforms us, and that affects how we live. So this morning, I'm going to be sharing on the message of I am rich. I am rich. Uh, that sounds appealing, doesn't it? If I am in Christ, I am rich. And I want to read uh, for you this morning from Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, if you have a Bible and you'd like to turn there, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, it's right after Galatians, right before uh, Philippians. If you don't have a Bible, just listen and follow along. I'm going to read the passage that we've been uh, talking about the last couple of weeks, starting in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. As I read, I want you to think about all the times it says, in Christ, in God, in Him. And so it's not just uh, me here by myself, but it's in Christ that we have these things. I lost my place here. Uh, in Christ, for He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the 
plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So it's kind of a long passage to read there, but we, we, we read that and we hear all of the things that God has given us because we are in him and all the things that shape our identity and make us who we are. And the thing that we want to talk about is being rich in Christ and all the words that come out here, like the inheritance that we have, that we are richly blessed and that he has lavished these things on us. Just a great word that he lavished his love on us and lavished all this, uh, these riches on us. Another letter that Paul wrote, he writes it this way. He says, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So God gave his son, he gave all he had, so that we could have all that he had. So the big idea this morning is that I am rich because God is more than enough to meet all of my needs. And the Bible says that if we're in Christ, we are rich. And today we want to explore what that means. Have you ever thought about what it would be like in your life, how your life would be different if you were really rich? Alex is going to share with us a little bit about that. Good morning. So at least uh, yesterday, at least there's one more very rich person in the world. I don't know if you have followed uh, popular news, the Powerball was $600 million yesterday, and they got a winning ticket down in Florida. So there's one person whose life is very much changed. And I've only bought uh, one lottery ticket in my life. is back when I was in college, and then I learned more about math in college, and I haven't done it since then. <laughs> but often when I hear that on the news, I'll, I used to work down in Walter Reed, and so I'd commute down there, and now I work at Dietrich. But I still have this commute in the morning. When I hear this news about Powerball, I often don't think about going out and buying tickets, but I almost always think, what would I do if I had $600 million? You ever do that when you hear that lottery thing? What's the game you play? Is What would I do if I had that much money? So I'm asking that question. I want you to give me answers now. What do you, when you do that, I, I tell you, I've probably done that 8, 10, 12 times in my life. When I hear that, it's, what will I do? And I literally spend the next 20 minutes thinking about what I would do with that money. What would you do with the money? You had 600, uh, not everybody wants, but one hand at a time. What would you do? Yeah, you, in fact, that's one of the very first ones. I'll come right back to you and just say, I helped my parents retire. I'd pay off the debts of the people I love. And I, I got a long commute, so I don't leave it there. I often think, but I got a brother-in-law who's not all that good with money, and maybe I wouldn't give him that much. You ever think that way? I wouldn't give it to him all at once. I'd Maybe a trust fund, maybe 10, and, you know, miles go by. But it is one of the very first things we come to is, I want to, I'd be generous. I'd help people who were in trouble. What were you going to say? Exactly. Again, top thing, top five answer. Get out of debt. I would deal with some of those financial things if I have college debt. If I, I'd pay off my home. That's the first one I would always do. If I have a car payment. I'd be done with those monthly debt worries. And then sometimes they even think, if I'd made financial errors, if I have this huge credit card debt, finally that could be dealt with. Finally I would deal with that debt that I have. So we had live generously and give to others. 
pay off debts? What are other things you might think about? Yeah. Yeah, go, the answer was spend money and, and go traveling. Uh, what are your dreams? For me, I'd love to have an old Airstream that I could fix up. I'd love to be able to, that's frame of mind, same friend, is go traveling, get the family in this and go uh, uh, and do something that I don't, that I hold back on now, something that I'm keeping my money tucked away for, but if I had unlimited resources, I would dream and I would build on that dream. Good. What do you got, Jeff? Pay off the church. Amen. So we have the numbers. I don't know if anybody here is in that group, but that's one of the things we came up. If you win, we want to help on the church. Certainly give a tithe to the church. I'd be generous. I'd look for ways to spend money large. I'd live large. I'd look for ways to change the world for the better if I was rich. And I'd do it. I'd step into it and give it away. Yeah, another one. Go ahead. Yeah, to me that's the, often the first one is that, first thing it comes, I wouldn't have, I'm driving to work, and at these times I'm driving down to Rare, I think, well, I'd never have to make this commute again. I'd, I'd stop working, but frankly, my second thought is, is I probably wouldn't have stopped working. What I would do is, I would stop doing the mundane things of work, I would stop the bureaucracy, and I'd do only what I loved to do. I probably still would do some veterinary work, because I love veterinary work. But I wouldn't do it all day when it was time at the end of the day and, and I'm just sitting around thinking, my goodness, I'd get out of there. And I'd go and I'd do and I'd volunteer and I'd live big. If I were rich, then I would do these things. But the truth of the matter is, we're not going to win the lottery. Uh, that's pie-in-the-sky money. It's bad math. It's not going to happen. But what Tim's going to talk to us about are true riches, riches that aren't far away. They're real Today, and often it's just where we've misbelieved it, where we have the same, this odd, wrong belief that we're not rich. You tell them about that. Thank you, Alex. So if I were rich, then I would. Just think about that phrase. That's what Alec was talking about. And we have these things in our mind that we think, you know, if only I had a little more, then I would do this or I would do that. Or, or my life would be different. My life would be changed if I had this much money or this much uh, wealth that I could, I could make a difference. The question would be, what does it mean to be rich? We talk about being rich. Now, obviously, $600 million, most of us would probably say that's rich. The dictionary says, uh, dictionary.com says that being rich is having wealth, great possessions, abundantly supplied with resources, means, or funds. Wealthy. That's pretty straightforward. I, I'm not surprised by any of that. I like the idea of uh, abundantly supplied. But one of the questions it doesn't really answer is how much? What determines, what makes somebody rich? Is it being in the top 1%? We hear that in the news sometimes. Uh, is it by how much money we have, what kind of car we drive, uh, or maybe a certain income? I read that, that most people, when they're asked, uh, what, is, what would make you rich? They, the number that comes to the mind is usually about 10 times their annual salary. So that's kind of interesting. So if you make, make 100000 you think, oh, a million dollars would make me rich. But you, you think, think that way. So what makes us rich? What is the idea of being rich? Now, John D. Rockefeller, some of you, I'm sure, have heard that name, a very wealthy man from the last century. In the early 1900s, he started Standard Oil and became the first billionaire. And that was a billionaire back when a billion was quite a lot of money. It's a lot of money now. But that was in the early 1900s. He was a billionaire. 
And a reporter asked him, how much money is enough? And his answer was just a little bit more. So if John D. Rockefeller had this idea, well, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. How much more would we possibly have that answer as well? And uh, the, uh, I read a study then uh, came out of University of Southern California about the relationship between money and happiness. And they did a study of countries where as the gross domestic product went up in the country, as the country grew, they measured the happiness level uh, through different surveys. And they found it really didn't change very much as the, company, as the country prospered. And then they did it on an individual basis, and they found pretty much the same thing. As people uh, prospered financially, didn't really change their lifestyle or the way they thought about life. Uh, most telling in, in a Forbes, Forbes 400 richest list, those people were given a survey and studied their satisfaction rating. And it was about the same level as the people of Maasai, Kenya, and northern Greenland who have no electricity or running water. So what makes somebody rich? Is it the amount of money you have? Well, it seems like that really has very little to do with the overall happiness uh, and pleasure in life. But we do desire to be rich, to have more, to, be abundant, to live abundantly, to have our needs met, to have enough, and maybe even to have more than enough is what we desire. And my thought this morning I want to share with you is that I believe that is built into us by God. I think that's part of how we're created. That's into us by design, that we have a desire to have more. That's how we were designed to live. In fact, when you go back to the first three chapters of the Bible in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, you see a picture of the way things were meant to be. And you see Adam and Eve living in the, a lush, lavish garden where God was with them and related with them and they had all their needs met and water came up and watered the plants and, and they did work, but it was meaningful work. And that's how they were meant to live. It was hardwired into them to live a prosperous life, to be rich, if you will. But then we know what happened in Genesis chapter 3, there's the fall. And they say, I, I'm going to go out on my own, I'm going to hold on to mine and I'm going to do things the way I want to do them. And God said, well, you may choose that, but when you do, here's what happens. Because, God said to Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat all of the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of the, your brow, you will eat, eat your food until you return to the ground. So this is going to change your whole relationship with abundance and, and plenty. We were meant, I believe, to live in abundance in the presence of God, but it got turned upside down with the fall of man. And we long for the way it was meant to be. We begin, unfortunately, then to look in this, this situation, we look at money and we look at possessions to do for us what only a right relationship with God can do. God has infinitely more than we can imagine. Ephesians, later on in the letter that we're looking at, Paul writes, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. This is God. God can do so much more than what we can even think about. 600 million is nothing. And his, his ability goes far beyond that. Uh, in the Psalms, uh, the psalmist writes that God has no need of our offerings. We took an offering here this morning. God has no need for that. We give because it's an act of, of worship. He has no need to that because he owns it all. He says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. It's all mine. Everything out there is mine. Like in Psalm 24, he writes, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, 
the world and all who live in it. Because he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. God made it. And everything that we look at belongs to him. And so he is extremely wealthy, if you will. He owns it all. Uh, Alec and I often talk about going to the ocean, and, and we sometimes travel together with our families to the ocean. And, and there's something about standing at the ocean and looking at it. It's just enormous. That I often think about God. We often talk about that, that it's, it's this thing on earth that there's so much of it that it just goes on and on and on. There's a, a quote uh, somebody said that, uh, I think it was a child said, look at all that water. and That's just the top. And when you start looking at all the water underneath, there's places as deep as the Mount, Mount Everest, I believe, the underwater uh, that uh, is in there. And it's so much more than we can imagine. Paul also writes later on in Philippians, he says, my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And I always think, what was it like to walk around this earth when Jesus was walking on this earth and they're at a wedding and they run out of wine? And so he says, well, I'll make some more. And he, with a word, tells them what to do and they have more wine. And they don't have food and there's 5,000 people. And so he takes two, five loaves and two fishes and multiplies it so that 5,000 people can eat. And, and he tells his disciples, fish over here, and they catch all this enormous amount of fish. Anything they needed, he had the power to get for them, to provide for them. The reality is that if we are in Christ, if we're following him, that we all already are rich, and he is more than enough to meet every need. So is it wrong for a Christian to have wealth or to, to be rich or to desire wealth? I don't think that it is. You look at people in the Bible, you look at Job, you look at Abraham, David, Solomon, uh, New Testament, uh, Barnabas, and, and some others who were very wealthy, and they're nowhere condemned for being wealthy. However, you do look at the stories of their lives, it did not save them from struggles and difficulties in this world. Uh, it didn't take the place of God. However, because they were faithful, God honored them. But the Bible does give us many warnings about money, and I want to read uh, another letter of Paul. He wrote to a, a pastor named Timothy. Good name. In uh, 1 Timothy, he writes this. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So I read that. I was, in fact, I was thinking, what, what passage do I really want to go to to talk about this this week? I've been thinking about this the last couple of weeks, and I couldn't quite find the right one. I was driving down the road the other day and just turned the radio, and somebody read this verse. And I thought, wow, that's, that's exactly what I needed. So God provided that. But he starts out, he says, don't be arrogant. And the first thing that, that you want to think about here when he talks about wealth is that all of it is God's. So any of it that you have, or that I have, it's because God allowed me to have it. That changes my perspective a little bit. Back in Deuteronomy, he says, if you start to think somehow by the sweat of your brow, you earned all this, remember, I'm the one who gave you the ability to work. And the only reason you exist is because of me. And so don't be arrogant. We start off with that point and get that in place because our hope is not in our wealth. I think of that oftentimes when I'm at work and, and I, I'm talking with a customer and I have to remind myself, God, you're my provider. It's not whether this customer buys or not. It's not whether my boss gives me more money. It's not 
Uh, I'm not dependent on them. I'm dependent on you because you possess everything. It says, don't put your hope in wealth. It's an irony that if you look at a dollar bill or a hundred dollar bill or any increment of money, it says right on it, in God we trust. It's kind of ironic because we put that on our money, but then we often put so much of our trust in having that money that if I have that money, then all my troubles and all my problems will be taken care of. And sometimes we even pray that way, ironically, that we, we pray to God to give us money because money is what we need to meet our needs. But really, it's God who's behind all that. He, he can provide any way he wants. It's God who gives us all the abilities to earn and to provide for our needs. So don't be arrogant. Don't put our hope in wealth. Our hope is in God. He is our only hope. Then he goes on to say, richly provides, God richly provides everything for our enjoyment. And that stood out to me because sometimes people think, well, God doesn't really want us to enjoy things. That's why he doesn't want us to be wealthy. He wants us to be miserable. But he says, no, God gave us this, all this bounty so that we can enjoy. We can enjoy life. We can uh, really enjoy a taste of what's to come. Uh, we were talking about heaven a little bit earlier. There was a picture in, in the other service that had a, a, a beautiful tree, a beautiful flowers, and, and just picturing what is going to be like when we're with God and everything is perfect and it's back to the way things were meant to be. The little things that we have in this life are just a foretaste of what that is, and we should celebrate those and enjoy them because God gave them to us for our, ple- our pleasure, and that gives joy to him. I think there's many rich people who don't enjoy anything, and I see many of them come in, and I talk to them uh, day to day. Then he goes on, he says, do good deeds and be generous. Because God has given us so much, it gives us freedom to be able to give. And I believe as we do that, I believe we open up the flows, and God, God continues to flow through us. And, and he allows us to have more, to give more, and to be more generous. And then the last phrase I really like is where he says, that they might have life that is truly life. Uh, and that just grabbed me just thinking about what does God want us to do? It's, it's eternal life. It's true life. It's not just having a high life. It's having a true life. Uh, there's a story Tony Campolo tells about a rich man in Texas uh, who, when he died, before he died, he made arrangements. He was very wealthy. He wanted to be buried in his Cadillac, dressed in his best suit with a cigar in his mouth, an expensive cigar in his mouth. And uh, it was said that the crane operator, they heard him say as he was lowering him into the ground, man, that's really living. Obviously, there was not really living. There's something much more beyond that. And that's what I believe he's saying here is that wealth is good, but it won't do for us what we think it will. The truth is that if we're in Christ, we already have all we need. And, and my, my challenge to us this morning is we started out talking about if I had this, then I would do that. But I believe there's a greater truth that we can say, since I have this, I can do that. So shifting from if to since. Since I am rich, since I am in Christ, then I don't have to worry. That's one of the things that people say, if I had $600 million, then I wouldn't have to worry. But the truth is, God says, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, or what you'll wear, because God knows what you need and he'll provide for them. And he says, he says, look at the lilies of the field. Yeah, they bloom and they, they're beautiful and then they die away in a day. And he says, but not even Solomon was dressed like one of these. And if the, that's how God takes care of the grass of the field that, that burns up and goes away, how much more is he going to take care of us? So there's a truth there, a greater truth that we are wealthy because we don't have to worry. I wouldn't have to work hard. I believe uh, the uh, 
I was a fiddler on the roof. If I were a rich man, I wouldn't have to work hard. And the whole idea that it changes our work, it transforms our work to something now we're working for God, we're working for a greater purpose. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, I, I do it now for God and not just for my boss or not just for uh, a paycheck, but there's a greater purpose in life. My debts have been paid. Uh, the Bible says that uh, when, when Christ went to the cross, he took the written code and, and the debt that was against us and took it on him and paid our price for us. And Christ says when he's hanging on the cross, it is finished. And that's a, that's a Greek word, die, which means it's a, uh, uh, an accounting term that means paid in full. And so Christ on the cross says it's paid in full. The debt has been paid. And so we no longer owe that. And so the past mistakes, the things that we regret, the things that we say, if we had enough money, we could overcome the details of our past. God says that's been taken care of. We could be generous because he has freely given us so we can give to others. And then I think lastly is this. We could live large. We could take a risk. And, and at, at risk of talking too much about gambling this morning, we, we already talked about Powerball. But an analogy that I thought of is this concept of being all in. Now, how many of you ever played poker? Oh, don't, don't raise your hands. Just, uh, but you, you've probably seen it on TV. And uh, you see them gambling and putting bets down. And they ante. They put an ante in. So, yeah, I'm in. And they'll put a little bit in. Just a little bit. But not quite all. And, and you're in the game. But we don't quite have the whole benefit of it. Now, something you might not know about me is that if I took all the money that I have in the bank and all my possessions, my house, my cars, and I put them together with Bill Gates and his money and his possessions, together the two of us would be worth over $64 billion. (laughs) Did you know that? Now, I don't know if Bill Gates is willing to do that, but the truth of the matter is that God says, all I have is yours if you give me all you have. And so he says, don't just put $5 in. Uh, I'm in for a little bit. I'll hedge my bet a little. I'm in. I, I, I don't want to go to hell. I, I want to be saved. I don't, don't want to be too bad. So I'll get in a little bit. But God says, no, what I'm calling you to is to be all in. And you see that in these poker tournaments that at some point they say, no more is just small bets. Everything I have is on the table. I'm all in. And there's no going back. And, and I would say it's not really good to gamble unless it's a sure thing. But what the Bible says is that this is a sure thing. Give it all. And when you do, you receive all that God has. And he says you're in. So the big idea this morning is that God is more than enough to meet all of our needs. And that is what it means to be rich. It's not likely that Bill Gates is going to call you or me and say, hey, join with me and we'll be billionaires. But it is true according to Scripture that God says, If you give me all that you have, I'll give you all that I have, and you'll be truly rich. Alex is going to come and lead us in time of prayer. So what God's calling us to do is to change from an if-then life. Some point in the future, I'll do this if I get this. He said, put that aside, since because I'm rich, this is different. And tomorrow, not tomorrow, today, I'm going to live differently. Tomorrow, it's going to be different. So we're going to do an exercise here. I'm going to ask God in. Of those four or five things talked about, 
Are you living small because of worry or because you think your productivity is what provides for you? Or do you think your debts are what's holding you back? Do you have a wrong belief that it's what I have that matters? If, if you're not a Christ follower, one of, the, one of the deals about following Christ is when you accept Christ, you get the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is part of God, and it comes into you, and it counsels you, and it gives you wisdom. And we're going to ask him right now, literally right now. I'm going to ask it out loud, and I'd ask you to use kind of the same words in yourself. Father, which of these things that we talked about today, that you heard about today, which of those do you want me to work on? Which of those are you willing to help me work on today? Let me say that, and then I'm going to have about 50 or 60 seconds of silence. It might be strange for you to hear the Holy Spirit, but I tell you, it happens all the time. It might be a Bible verse that comes to your mind. It might be an audible thing. It might be almost always. It's just one of those things sticks in your head, triggers there. That's God talking. He's saying, I want to be in this with you, and I want you all in on that thing with me. Let's see what he does. Let's ask him. Holy Spirit, my God, what a privilege to come before you. What a an unbelievable deal that when we are in you, Father God, that you're in us. And so, Holy Spirit, you're asking us to be like you, and you've spoken through your word. Your holy word speaks to us. Me, Alec, and Kim, and Jeff, and Robin, and Felicia, we're asking you, Father God, what do you want us to work on this week? What do you want me to change? Where am I not all in and that you're calling me to be in? Speak to me, Father. Show me, God. Where do you want me to change, God? Where am I holding back? I invite you in, Father God. I want to be all in. So stick with me here in prayer for just a bit. Father God, where I worry, where... Where I worry, it's because I have unbelief and I'm thinking that you're smaller than you are, that your resources are less than you are, and I'm putting my limitations on you. Come into that, Father God, and change me this week. And where I think it's my productivity, and here's what God's speaking to me about, where I think what I do, that I have to work and struggle and do more and more and more and more and more because I'm the one who provides. God, it's a wrong belief. It's you who provides. I pray that you change very nature that what Tim was talking about when I'm at work tomorrow and I'm looking for meaning, that I'm looking for where you are, that I'm looking for relationships with Captain Carlson and with Charity and with Matt at work. And I invest, Father God, in your kingdom there. Not rely on my own productivity. Where I've made past mistakes, Father God. Where I have debt, not only monetarily, but relational debt be free to forgive, Father God. Come and stir and move our hearts, move the hearts of those people where it's risky to step into it and say, man, I messed up. Remember when I did this? I really feel terrible about that. I would ask you to forgive me. Tomorrow, man, go and do that. I make plans to change for you, Father God, to live big. And that's just it, Father God. Where I don't see you as enough, may it be the case that You say you satisfy. You alone satisfy. Here in this world, when I go by the ocean, it's peaceful and calm and created it that way because it's the thing that reminds me it's the only thing in this earth where I'm beside it and I don't want for more, that it's enough. 
the ocean that's that way. It's the creator that's that way. Father God, when I'm with you, when I am in you, it's the only thing that satisfies. It's the only place where there's enough because you, Father God, are the only one who creates enough. Come into our lives, Father God. We need you desperately to celebrate and to live large in your presence and your grace and your bountiful provisions for us. Almighty God, help us to change from an if-then to a since-then by your grace. Amen.